So, uh, we're going to jump into the Word today. We are continuing our series, The Way of the Kingdom. And uh, we're going to go through the series for the entire summer. And uh, we are pressing into Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount uh, called the Beatitudes. Uh, but I want us to see this as we journey through this, is that we cannot separate the person of Jesus from the teaching of the Beatitudes because the Beatitudes themselves point to him as the ultimate source of being blessed and fulfilled in this life. And whenever we, we hear Jesus teach, I, I, I had this moment when I was studying for this uh, series, that whenever we see Jesus speak or teach in the Gospels, there's this crazy realization where you are coming into contact with the words of God. Like literally we have an invitation to listen and to hear God speak to us. God, what is God's perspective about life? What, what, what does God think about humanity? What is God's view on marriage and all these things? When we, when we hear Jesus speak, this is what we're invited into. And so whenever Jesus speaks, whenever we listen to the teaching of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, what is the goal or the point Jesus is trying to make? This is what it means to be a good student of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple, right? The word disciple literally means a learner. And so when we come into contact with the words and the teaching of Jesus, we have to have this realization, Jesus, what are you trying to say? What are you saying to us? What is your goal? What is your point? And the moment we stop learning is the moment we stop being a disciple, right? So this is the invitation uh, that Jesus is leading us into. And I would say the goal or the point of Jesus' teaching specifically here is to create a new lifestyle in his followers that invites and furthers his kingdom on the earth. So let's jump into Matthew 5.5. 5. Uh, today we're going to be teaching on humility. Is excited. We're going to teach on humility. Uh, raise your hands if you would say you're a humble person. All right, all right. If you raise your hand, you failed. Let's test, let's test, let's test, let's test. But Matthew 5 5 says this it says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Come on. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. It's not the strong or the boastful, or the powerful, but the humble. The one who isn't interested in climbing the social ladder and focus on possessing what he can conquer in this world, but the one who is patient to wait for the inheritance that God promises. Right? The patient, the gentle, the self-controlled, and lowly will be the one that inherits the whole earth. So I want to make this statement to kind of frame what we're gonna go into this morning, but humility is the key to increase in the kingdom. Yeah. Humility is the key, the access point to see an increase in our lives as we live in this kingdom. In Matthew 11, Jesus literally refers to himself as humble and lowly in heart. And what's so interesting about Jesus, okay, God himself coming in flesh, this unique dichotomy of his humility, but also his power. We see him literally casting out demons with like no fear at all, just coming face to face, just casting out demons. We see the fact that he, you know, his miracles, we see the way he lives that says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. This Jesus came as a baby. 
fully dependent. This Jesus rode in on a donkey. This Jesus died naked on a cross. What? <laughs> Sorry, I forgot there's kids in the room. Without clothes on, on the cross. <laughs> All right, let's go. So we see that Jesus is humble and lowly in the heart. Yet he stood against the entire power structure of his day. He stood against religious authorities and he endured torture at the hands of his captors. But in spite of his enormous strength, authority, and power, he fully embodied humility. To be humble is not to be weak. To be humble in the biblical sense requires a certain kind of inner strength that is actually exceedingly rare. And so when we say humility is the key to increase in the kingdom, the increase is found in being like you. That's it. The increase that we want to see. I want to see increase in my relationships, in my marriage, in uh, my resources, in my calling, in my emotional, mental health. The increase that we receive in the kingdom is found in being like him. Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. I don't know if you guys heard that. Isn't that crazy? Humility is the fear of the Lord. Humility is the key to understanding the fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That humility is the key to wisdom. The rest of the verse in Proverbs 22, verse 4 says this, that humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Luke 14, 11 says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to humble me. Right? I want to just come and be humble. Because it doesn't look pretty when we have to get humbled before the Lord. And James 4, 6 says this, And he gives grace generously. That's so good. Say generously. Yeah. He gives grace generously. As scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That humility is the key to receiving grace. So even in this, we see that this thing about humility, this isn't just like letting people walk over you and just doing whatever people say. This is a, an inner strength that Jesus modeled to us. So I want to take us on a journey. Let's go to Genesis 1.28. And I just want to read the first part of this verse. It says this, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Right? Reign over the fish and the sea, the birds and the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And I want us to see, when we, we have this moment in Genesis when God creates man and woman, he gives them a purpose. He gives them a commission. He says, Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful, right? have a lot of kids, and multiply and to govern and to rule over the earth. Okay? And the picture that we see, you know, we, we have the picture of the Garden of Eden, which is man living in full communion with God, full access to God's presence, right? This, this beautiful picture of God's original design. And the goal was as Adam and Eve's family expanded, so too with the borders of the garden. As their family multiplied, the garden would take over this, this picture of full communion and full presence would expand on the earth as they expand on the earth. 
And so in Matthew 5, does this sound familiar? God blesses the humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And we know that the kingdom and its rewards function in the duality of the now and not yet. If you've been here in the past Sundays, this picture of, of what Jesus says about the kingdom, it's this duality of the now and the not yet. Where the kingdom, Jesus says, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is near. We are able to taste and express and experience a deposit, a down payment of the Holy Spirit, which gives us access to his kingdom. But when Jesus returns, we will have our full inheritance. So when Jesus says that they will inherit the earth, there is a now and a not yet version of that. There is a not yet version when Jesus comes and remakes heaven and earth that we will rule and reign fully with Jesus on the earth, fulfilling Genesis 1. But in the now, okay, in the now we have access to start that journey. We have the invitation to continue the purpose given to Adam and what Jesus ushered through his life, which is to see God's presence fill the earth and to see his rule and reign established. That the humble would lead the charge in furthering his kingdom. The humble are going to be the ones that are going to lead the charge of furthering his kingdom in the earth. So Matthew 20, let's jump there. Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus gives a radical different view of leadership. Matthew 20, 25 to 28, it says this. But Jesus called them together. And said, you know the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials, flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Say different. Among us it is going to look very different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for me. This view of humility is very radical. It's very different. Like, we don't see this view modeled in the world. This is why Jesus is ushering a new kingdom. So on this earth, as believers, we rule differently. Our leadership looks differently than the world. Our parenting, whatever area you're in charge of leading people, it looks radically different. And this is what Jesus is demonstrating. This is what Jesus is revealing. And when we see the life of Jesus, I, I think, you know, there's so much crazy theological mystery of God coming in fully man and fully God. But part of it, of Jesus coming as a human, is to demonstrate to us what it looks like to be fully human. To demonstrate to us what it actually looks like to live in full communion with God on the earth. Right? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And so the key to leadership in the kingdom is servanthood. That if we want to be leaders in our homes or in our churches or in our jobs, leadership, Jesus modeled leadership as servanthood, right? As sacrificial love. And in my journey of just planting breakthrough, you know, out of every single characteristic, humility is the main thing I always look for before I raise a leader. Above anointing, above gifting, above skill. That at the end of the day, you can be very anointed, but very prideful 
And Amen. we miss everything. We miss the point. We, we're unable to lead people the way that God has called us to lead. This is a really cool fact, but in the Old Testament, the word humility carries the meaning to bend low to the ground. Right, which is this picture of submission. To bend low to the ground. And in Genesis 2, 7, it says this, Then God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then man became a living being. That when we embody humility in moments when it's easier to choose not to, we literally return to the ground. We return to God's design. We return to God's intention for humanity. We return to the perfection of the heart. When we respond in humility, when everything around us, or, or the situation we're in, or the person that's saying something, when we respond in humility, when everything in us says do the opposite, we literally return to the ground. I don't know about you, but that's pretty cool. And so can we talk about pride for a second? We can't talk about humility without talking about pride. But I want to give us an understanding of pride and how it works. Pride creeps in or comes in when we leave communion. When we become disconnected from the breath and the life that God breathed into us. You know, the word Eden literally means God's delight. God created humanity to live within his delight. To live under the reality of God's love for them. That we are created to know and live in God's delight. So simply put, pride is rooted in leaving the garden, right? Leaving God's delight, which means that pride is rooted in not knowing how God sees you. Pride comes in when we become disconnected from the life source, which is Jesus. And what happens is when we get disconnected, the snake, right? The accuser comes in and pride gets into the picture because we get disconnected from how God sees us, but then also how God sees other people. It's a two coin, right? Two sides of the coin. If you're disconnected from how God sees you, you're going to be very disconnected from how God sees people. If you're disconnected from how God sees people, you're going to be disconnected from how God sees you. It's a lot of words. So humility comes from this place of connection where this pride comes from control. Humility is rooted in security, but pride is rooted in insecurity. Right? You know the phrase that pride comes before the fall, which is actually uh, a paraphrase of verse in Proverbs that says that pride goes before destruction. <laughs> so I want to just frame this, that pride, what pride looks like is pride looks like being conceited, feeling superior over others or arrogant, whereas true humility looks like not being arrogant, being gentle, ready to serve others, and teachable. But I want to talk about a third thing. I think a lot of us miss. Maybe you're listening to this, this message and you're like, pride, you know, that's not me. Humility, that's, that's kind of me. But there's a third thing that creeps in that we miss called false humility. Can we talk about false humility? Yeah. All right. 
you asked for it, so. False humility is messy. Because on the surface, it looks like humility. <laughs> it acts like humility. But at its core, it has the same root system as pride. That false humility, what this looks like is, is thinking poorly of oneself. Feeling inferior, right? We go the, the opposite extreme because we see pride all for us so intensely. So we, we go the entire opposite extreme and we feel insecure, we feel inferior, we, we tend to people please. Anybody, right? We, we fall into that. C.S. Lewis says this quote that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I know for me, in my journey with the Lord, this was the one thing that, that, that was just like a thorn in my flesh, was this false humility thing. Because like on the outside, like I wasn't, you wouldn't say it, Andrew was super prideful or whatever. You know, I grew up in a very honor-based culture in the Philippines. And so it's like you, you learn respect, you learn how to be humble. But I know for me, this, this tension of, of being multicultural and growing up in the Philippines and growing up in America, it was this thing where I never fit in. And because of that, I always felt inferior to other people. And so what happened on the surface, I knew pride is bad, but internally I had a pretty messed up root system. And that root system... Right? Develop shame, it developed condemnation, it developed me being self-conscious. And on the outside, I would do things that look like humility, but it's not done from the place of humility. Okay, I'll, I'll respect people, I'll honor people, I'll do what people say, but in my heart, it's not the way Jesus said. Because Jesus modeled humility by sacrificial love. And both pride and false humility are rooted in the same thing, which is the focus of self. Where we get so focused on us, on our insecurity or our weaknesses or our shortcomings, and we get disconnected, right, from the breath. We get disconnected from how God actually sees. And because false humility and pride have the same root system, right, which is not knowing how God sees us, it bears the same fruit. Insecurity, right, control, not being able to receive. And this is the thing I think a lot of us can probably relate to a lot more, maybe not, if not, you're good. But it's this thing where it's like, the enemy's like, okay, I know pride is very obvious. That's, that's easy to, to kind of nip in the bud. But this false humility comes in, and because the root system isn't tended, right? The, 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 the weeds aren't removed and something true. Truth isn't planted. And so because of that, it's still bearing the same fruit. It just looks different. So let's go to John 13. You guys okay? All right, John 13. I want to take us through this story. And this is the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. But I want to specifically look at Peter. And eventually we're going to look at John. So John 13, verse 3 to 8, and then we're going to eventually jump down. It says this. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Let's stop there. How crazy is that? Jesus was fully aware. Like, he knew he had all authority 
of heaven and earth. He, he knew the Father had put all things under his power. He was aware that he came from God and he is going to return to God. He, he knew his divinity. He knew his power. But then verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You would read verse 3 and be like, and then Jesus started levitating, casting out demons and rebuking sinners. But he said no. He literally took off a piece of his clothing and used that to touch the dirtiest part of their feet. And we know Jewish people at this time, they didn't have socks, right? They didn't have Jordans and all these things. They literally just had sandals, and they're walking in the dust, and their feet are probably stepping on manure and all this dirty stuff. And Jesus, God himself, was willing to go to the ground, to bend to the ground, and to wash their feet. They got just so profound. Where he's modeling to us a new way of living in this kingdom. Verse 6. Then he went to Peter, Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, this is Peter's talking, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Right? I was asking, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Good old Peter says, No. <laughs> right? Straight up. He's like, No. You shall never wash my feet, Jesus. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part of me. So interesting. But he's telling Peter, you, you're missing the point. You'll one day understand what I'm doing. That Jesus didn't come as a conqueror, but a suffering servant. And him washing their feet was this symbol to the cleansing that he is about to bring, right? The inward cleansing, the, the root systems that have been spoiled and the root systems that have been uh, uh, plaguing our lives, he's coming to cleanse that. That he came to make us righteous and to make our hearts pure, but also what he's modeling is what we're supposed to do to one another. And Peter's response, even though he's passionate and super zealous and loves Jesus, he misses the point. And I would say his response is actually a response of false humility. It's this idea of Jesus, no, like, don't touch my feet. Like, you're, you're Jesus. Like, you can't serve me. You can't bless me. I can't receive from you because you're Jesus. I'm dirty Peter. <laughs> It looks like humility, right? Like it looks like, yeah, he's being humble, like he's not letting King Jesus wash his feet. But he's missing how Jesus sees him. No amens for that. He's missing the point. He's missing what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus is saying, I'm here to model to you sacrificial love. I'm here to show you how much I actually care about you. All you have to do is receive what pride and humility and, and false humility resist. Right, false humility resists, it controls, it doesn't feel worthy of receiving. Right, how often do we do this? Let's jump down to verse 22. And I want to talk about John. 
good old John, right? He gives himself the title, the beloved. Come on, how confident is he to call himself the beloved disciple? I love that. So it happens after Jesus has this interaction with Peter. He eventually alludes to there's someone here who's going to betray me, right? Everyone's freaking out. Everyone's like, who's going to betray Jesus? And in verse 22, it says this, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. They're like, we want to know who's going to betray Jesus. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, was reclining next to him. Like he's literally just leaning on Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. This is so interesting. John knew the access that he had to Jesus. John knew that he could, literally translation says that he was leaning on his chest, like straight up cuddling with Jesus, right? Come on. He was leaning on his chest. Now what's so interesting, if you trace the story, John is the only male disciple that shows up at the foot of the cross. Everyone fled. Everyone was too scared. Right later on at the end of this passage, Peter is like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth. I will die for you. And then you know what happens, right? He denies it three times and one to a little girl. <laughs> but John was the only one that showed up to the foot of the cross. And in this story, Peter is going to him to get access to Jesus. Because he doesn't know the access to Peter. That John was literally leaning on Jesus' chest. He was confident in how God saw him. And because he had that level of intimacy, he knew he had access. This is the fruit of humility. That Peter, on the other hand, didn't know the access that he had, so he went through John. Pride and false humility creates a barrier from seeing the access we already have. Pride and false humility creates a barrier from us seeing the access that we already have to God. So I want to contrast really quick, we're almost going to close, the fruit of humility and the fruit of pride. The fruit of humility and the fruit of pride. That humility comes from connection, whereas pride comes from control. Humility receives, whereas pride resists. Humility serves, whereas pride wants to be served. Humility honors, whereas pride judges. So I want to leave you guys with these three questions. <laughs> I like to call this fruit testers. Come on. <laughs> three questions. Right? David says in Psalm 139, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any way offensive in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. So questions to ask yourself. What, what roots are in our lives? What, what fruit are bearing? First question. If someone corrects you from a genuine place, how do you respond? You respond in humility, you respond in pride, you respond in false humility. If someone corrects you from a genuine place, how do you respond? The second thing, when you are asked to do something that you don't want to do, do you respond in pride, humility, or false humility? And the third and last one, 
do you often judge people who do things differently than you? Do you often judge people who worship differently than you? It's very loud. Well, serves differently than you, or speaks differently than you. Doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that this person says or does or is. But it comes into this place, how would the suffering servant respond? So I have the worship team come up. And I just invite you guys to reflect on that. But I want to end in 1 Peter 5, 6. And this is the beautiful thing. This is Peter post-Pentecost, right? We know the story of Peter. Jesus, after his resurrection, he, he restores Peter back to ministry. And he says about Peter, he says, on this rock, right? The, the word Peter means rock. On this rock, I will build my church. Through Peter, I'm going to build my church. And if you know, in Pentecost, Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved in the church's birth. This same Peter, who was afraid of a little girl and denied Jesus three times. This is the beautiful thing in 1 Peter 5, 6. He says this. He comes to this revelation. He, he has this realization. And he says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up. 